the city of St. Louis, you're listening to the Don't Push Pause podcast with your hosts, Justin Johnson and Lindsay Reber. Welcome again to the podcast. Uh, we are continuing our month-long run of uh, scary movie, uh, horror movie genre-related films. We just did a Pet Cemetery last time, and now we're moving. This is one that's not quite a horror movie. It's more no. on the comedy base, but it, it toes a good... Comedy, horror, true crime. True crime, and that is uh, John Waters' 1994 movie, Serial Mom. We love it. And uh, you, you actually, we were... I was, what, what movie were we going to do? Oh, um, we were thinking about Amityville Horror. We were. And I was feeling like, I don't know, I, I wasn't feeling, I started feeling indifferent about it, and then you texted me and said, what about Serial Mom? And You're like, okay, it, like, it clicks now, this is going to fit more in with, yeah, with yeah. what we're going for. Not that there's anything wrong with Amityville Horror, um, and there's certainly a lot to talk about with yeah. that, but... It just felt like for this go around, um, Serial Mom was a nice, um, you know, kind of with all the the, the movies that we've um, have done or are planning to do for for October. Um, the idea of putting Serial Mom in here is kind of one maybe you, you wouldn't necessarily visit during October, but it, it fits. Yeah, it fit, it fits. It's yeah. kind of and it's sort of a pre it's a precursor to Scream almost. Like yeah, there's a, I mean. Not only having the same one of the same actors, but yeah. that fine line of a mix of comedy and horror and uh, self true events. Yeah, true yeah. events. Self awareness. Yes. So, uh, Lindsay, this was kind of your your influence here on us doing Serial Mom. So, what what was it that what was the initial spark here for you wanting to uh, talk about Serial Mom? For me, what sells what will always sell this movie is Kathleen Turner. For me. Um, but I think in the context of putting this movie w- in October with other Halloween or with other, you know, scary or horror themed movies, one thing that works with this one is that it's, it's not, it's not a horror comedy. It's more of a comedy horror, which I like. And when done well, and sometimes it's really in other movies, it's not done well at all. Um, this one completely works. Um, I think that it is just a solid movie all throughout and one of my favorite john waters movies in general as far as the horror aspect of it it um it 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 does this this thing of extrapolating the comedy out of these incredibly horrific murders that happen committed by a suburban mom you know these are things that if you look at it, it it's not funny it's really not funny it's all it's totally terrifying this woman that is probably a sociopath. It is, I think, just very artfully and skillfully done. And uh, to me, is, is maybe a movie that isn't talked about as much as it should be, and definitely not when it came out. Um, and it, there are just so many reasons to talk about this movie, not only John Waters and the cast. There are just so many um, topics you can talk about with this movie. And, I mean, really, it's funny but there's so many, but there are many times that I feel like, damn, 
that's that ain't pretty right (laughs) she kind of terrifying actually i think there's a lot uh, you're right there's like a lot of good things to discuss um one of the main things because as soon as you mentioned this movie i was like oh man i I really forgot how much i enjoyed serial mom and i hadn't seen it in a while and Mm -hmm. within the first 20 minutes it was yeah. like wow this is like was so ahead of its time and so relevant i mean especially how um popular true crime is i mean tr- true crime was popular then but now it's yeah it's like one huge. of you know how many documentaries and like it's, podcasts yeah, it's, and it's, it's yeah. just it's it's so it's very very popular um and it's a, it's in pop a, culture it's because it is so fascinating yeah, yeah it's interesting and i think that this one was ahead of its time. Like it really tapped into our obsession early on mm-hmm. with serial killers and crime and uh, horrific things happening to um, people that seem somewhat normal living these normal suburban lives. Yeah. And I, I just really love its, its style, um, the way it approaches the subject. Uh, I, I think John Waters really has like a knack for, <laughs> tapping into the cracks of uh the suburban demise who who really does john waters has a knack for many things um and i think that there is nothing that's more horrific to um to you know d- the general population than something that is normal and 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 commonplace and maybe like you know classic 1950s style um, American life than to have that completely obliterated by, you know, mom being a complete murderer. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it's adding this comedy into something that is, um, pretty horrific. Yeah. Well, we'll talk a little bit about the, on the podcast today, we'll talk a little bit about sort of how this works is, is it, it sort of blends these genres and, and actually makes it work. Uh, I know you want to talk about Kathleen Turner. Okay, um, I'm sorry. I we'll love probably, her. We'll talk about the cast. This is a great <laughs> cast. Everybody yeah. work functions in there's in a, such a insanely great way. And we've got um, yeah. There's a lot to, a lot of people to talk about. Mink Stoll. We'll get there. Yeah, we'll talk about John Waters' career mm-hmm. and the place of this movie in his career. And also with um um a true crime, where this fits in historically. Yeah. Um, uh, to kind of. It was the kickoff. Yeah, a lot for yeah. for where our obsession began. Yeah, so we'll we'll uh, get into that um, before. Uh, well, I'm gonna go to a clip here for Sarah Mom, but before that, uh, will you just give us a brief thing? Of course. Um, so this sweet suburban mom. Um, even though we learn in the first three minutes, we have some good foreshadowing that there's something something dark behind her eyes. This sweet suburban mom. Um, takes a little too much uh, defense in for her family and anyone who wrongs her family um, or her for that matter. She takes it a little too far in each one of these cases. I think our body counts like maybe seven or eight, if I remember correctly. Very respectable body count. Yeah. You know, we're not just talking like one or two here. Kathleen Turner, if you didn't know, she can play a, heinous murderer yeah (laughs) i can't help but laugh every time i think about this movie there's so many great one-liners yeah well i'll try to find one of those one-liners and we'll go to that and then uh we'll start talking about serial mom maybe the ultimate prank call 
Maybe yeah. not. That might not be appropriate. I don't, I don't know, know. If I want to fly. I don't. Well, I don't know. We'll eh, see. Whatever. I'll find something. Okay. Then we'll come back. Okay. Wait for me, boys. Here, I'll rinse and ready to recycle. Morning, Miss Sutton. Good morning, guys. Good morning, Sloppy. You know, you boys work so hard for the environment. I thought I'd bring you something. A little drink never hurt anybody. Thank you, ma'am. <laughs> Damn, that's good stuff. You believe that goddamn litter bugger? Oh, I have told her and told her. It takes 90 to 100 years for a tin can to decompose, and she still won't recycle. Cost the taxpayers millions of dollars last year, but she don't care nothing about the national budget. I hate Mrs. Ackerman. I hate her, too. I hate her guts. You know, somebody ought to kill her. Yeah. Give her a happy face, and then recycle her. For the sake of this planet, somebody just might. So, Serial Mom, this, I, I think, so this movie to me is kind of like a like a perfect satire, and I think, mm-hmm. I think satire is a very hard genre or entity to perfect Um, especially if you're not dealing with something broad that enough people know about what's going on Mm -hmm. and I almost feel like this movie has aged so well as a satire because and this is something that isn't a big secret John Waters has mentioned this in multiple interviews about Serial Mom that this predated the OJ Simpson incident trial which is everything crazy like the movie came out like three months before it's so crazy everything because happened. It, it mirrors a, a lot that happened yeah with it's that. just there's there's a parallel with the trial there's a parallel with mm-hmm. people's obsession with the trial with marketing um yeah and and uh that you have a incident that happens that or you have a figure who is like oj simpson who is american icon uh, sure. just the poster of like what you, you would never everybody loves yeah doing anything and parallels like Kathleen Turner's serial mom is you know the suburban housewife who is you know the perfect wife raises her kids like you would never suspect that she would she'd never heard a yeah. fly like she does in the first yeah. two minutes of the movie so <laughs> it's so I, there's so many parallels it's almost that's like the scary eeriest thing when I was re- yeah. re-watching it it was kind of like blowing my mind nonstop. Um, and I do think that this movie functions as like I don't know that there's like another satirical film that I, I love more I think that John Waters he has that knack I mean I think he I think this is one of his strongest films and I think that he everything that he built on that finding the cracks within what the majority of people find to be what is considered normalcy like mm-hmm. finding the cracks within that and then like showing those the interweb of like you know the dark side of like what this like perfect life is and then I, I feel like this movie he like really had it just feels like it's like he had a lot of fun and everybody feels like this is this is a fun film I mean I know it's there's a lot of heinous things that yeah. happen in it but uh, this is a fun film to watch I think it's um really yeah it's it's a really smart movie and I think even now more it's just to me it's it's another one of those movies I think has aged so well because now and even then I mean there's been all these cases you know there's well, been yeah. so many cases in American history 
that have that the public has been completely obsessed with but i think the oj simpson case was one that like was like when you look at a timeline of yeah. like where really things really kicked in so it's wild how much is parallel parallel something that that happened yeah. th- but this was ahead of its time there's so many examples that we have um now i mean this is what 1994 this is like over 20 years later we have so many examples of how this movie plays out we we have um person that you would never think would commit this heinous crime whether it be a mom you know or 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 a spouse or a celebrity and then you're faced with this giant media obsession then a trial the marketing everything um and i think you know that that has a lot to do with how media has changed um how things have become more accessible information has become more accessible and we get to a point where it's hard to not necessarily differentiate between but we don't really like where does the story quote unquote you know separate from reality the reality of the situation and like the reality of serial mom and these people that are that she murders like that those crimes they're insane but the 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 story and what we come out with at the end is like this (laughs) is this unbelievable story and you can't believe that she's actually going to get off in the end and she does yeah um and yes, it is a movie. This would certainly not happen in reality, but I mean, we've seen it actually play out in real life. Yeah, and you can, and I do like that the the film really shows with Kathleen Turner's character the how you can feel sympathy for someone like you forget. Yeah, you you put aside how horrible these crimes are, how yeah. horrible the the incident that took place was mm-hmm. because you get caught up in the whirlwind of everybody talking about it or like how could you know, this mom do this yeah yeah and it's it is something like i'll take for example the uh when the uh not you know not to take this in a dark place but like when the boston Bombing? marathon yeah happened yeah i remember like texting with people like oh man you know i mean they were showing it was playing out like an action film on the news and like yeah you know people just kind of like updating like hey you know just saw that this happened this happened and it was this you almost like uh and this sounds terrible to say but you like almost forgot about the actual bombing you were like more wrapped up in did somebody mark that i'm saved on facebook or or, or this manhunt that's taking place yeah uh, you know that's playing out on over three days or four days or however long it was and we see the live action video of someone being run over and then like, where's that car? Where yeah. are they? We're going to go to a, a helicopter. The and, tailing. Uh, and yeah. you know, and, and so this film, I think it does a great job because it shows you these, they sh- it shows you the crimes committed. Yeah. I mean, it, it doesn't shy away from the crimes committed, the murders that happen, the killings that happen. But then it immediately, when we go to trial, it, it and, and that's why I think the film is smart because it kind of like sets that aside and now yeah. you're 
you feel sympathetic like you you know you feel sympathetic for Kathleen Turner's character and she you know and, and she spins it in the way I mean and she is manipulative but you're like you know she's just trying to protect her family she's just trying you know it's like you almost like rationalize yeah. with the character and it's it's a that's really smart to me it's really fascinating to me that John Waters was able to write something so relevant and so sharp and ahead of its time I think that's one of the reasons why this works so well is because as an audience, um, we we see all of these murders happen. There is no question in our mind that Beverly Sutphin, you know, kills all of these people. But then when we get to the trial and she ends up defending herself um, and she <laughs> making these very basic arguments or discrediting witnesses, you're like, well, I mean... She got a point. I mean, they're they're not going to prove it, you know. I, you know, beyond a reasonable doubt, not there, you know. So yeah. I mean, in in the end, you are rooting for the person you know full well committed all of these crimes, uh, and I think another like like you said, um, defending her family. I feel like another reason this works is because of um, even though they might be completely ludicrous reasons why she right. was defending her family or why she was offended yeah. and you know um why she's committed these crimes um i think we're we're left to be like well you know she did have some justification yeah well i like to actually move into uh, speaking of that and, and mm-hmm. also what you were saying earlier about the foreshadowing with the fly yeah her killing the fly scene is how this movie, I mean, I think it function, functions perfectly as a satire, mm-hmm. but how it functions as sort of a serial killer horror movie. Yeah. It has some chilling scenes, and I think, uh, you know, and I know we'll talk about Kathleen Turner, but I think, like, with the foreshadowing of the fly, we get this, you know, she there's a fly, you know, she's cooking breakfast for the family, and a fly lands on the table, and this is in the first, what, three minutes of the yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it, it annoys her so much, and she, like, sort of, like, violently... It's like this sort of like grotesque kill yeah. of the fly. Like, but at the same time, she's holding a complete like normal conversation with her family yeah. and saying like w- one of the kids says they they hate someone. And she's like, don't use hate. That's a strong word. And at the same time, she's hunting this fly, like yeah. trying to kill it. But then later on, there's just I, I feel like that foreshadowing of like that's how she views these people that yeah. that bug her like a fly would would bug you you're spotting them away from it's your a face the foreshadowing is like she views people as bugs like she doesn't view them as humans there's no dis- there's no if you're someone that loves bugs but like is a defender of like distinguishing like this is a bug this is a human mm-hmm. life there mm-hmm. if you can say there is a big difference <laughs> yeah um <laughs> between a bug and a human um but like in her mind they're the same you know i mean if 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 she's killing them yeah um and that's what's chilling in my mind because there's you know a, a, a part of me of like you know i don't really if i kill a bug i don't really like 10 minutes later it's not really something that i think about but i, I feel like if i killed somebody it probably stay with me for the rest <laughs> of my life i would hope that it would might stick with you a yeah, little bit yeah. Um, yeah, completely. And I think that, uh, one of the most interesting things as far as this, as Beverly Sutphin serial mom being a serial killer is that we have this, uh, we talked a little bit about this before that I feel, 
that she's not necessarily two different personalities where she's like this complete sociopath that's like looking to kill people and then this like you know sweet suburban mom these personalities are one like it's she is not two different people during during all of this um like okay the first example that's coming to mind as we're watching this movie right now in the background is when she murders a woman with a is that a turkey leg I believe it's a lamb. Lamb, lamb that's leg. right. A lamb leg. Leg of lamb. Um, she murders this woman with a leg of lamb because she didn't rewind um, the VHS tape when she uh, when this woman returned the tape to her son's video store. Yeah. And Which so, is, you know, I mean, valid defense. But you got to rewind, yeah. okay? Or else there's a dollar, dollar $1.99 fee, yeah. okay? You got to rewind. rewind it Somebody's got to do it. Yeah. So... Mom finds out about this, is like, you know what? You got to go. In this scene, though, she's looking for a murder weapon to kill this woman. And the the woman's dog is coming over to her and hanging out. And she's like, you know, like, oh, sweetie, giving it little pieces of lamb, like being a sweet suburban mom. Yeah. And she's about ready to go murder this woman. However, John Waters intended, or whether it was Kathleen Turner, the never is there a point in this movie where it seems like two different people yeah even in the um end like the trial scene we see this perfect blend of her being a sweet suburban mom and also completely manipulating witnesses in front of everyone in the court um and whether this is missed and this is just movie magic and of course no one would actually see this manipulation she is consistent throughout the whole movie and it's almost as if you believe her disbelief that people think that she's a serial killer. Yeah. Well, and I think it, I, I think this movie does a good job of, again, towing that line of our history of like serial killers. You know, mm-hmm. they, a lot of serial killers held regular jobs and yeah. held, uh, you know, and had, had families. normal, yeah, had families or had normal, you know, friendships with people, but they had this sinister side, you know, this like lust to, yeah. to kill and I think this movie does a fine, fine job of like showing that compulsion to kill, but like also that opposite side. And and again, like you said, without doing the this, you know, it's a split personality kind of thing. Like, yeah. you know, one day I was this and I heard, you know, and, and there are cases like that. But I think yeah. this was more going this film was going for more of the straightforward, like how was so the majority of information that we know of like how serial killers operate. And then of course, you know, taking a comedic stance. I, and I think that too, I mean, we're not trying to say that murder is funny by any means with this, but I, I think that also the, the manner in which a lot of these killings happen is what is where the comedy is brought in like a leg of lamb. Come on. You know, yeah, and but again, I and, and I think and I think that that's a good choice because I think if the killings were too brutal, it would be, yeah, it would take um, away from it, it would take away, you know, then you would just we'd be going into a straightforward like either slasher film or yeah. actual like here's a serial killer movie like Henry Portrait of Serial Killer yeah. or something, yeah. And I think and and I and I think uh Kathleen Turner's portrayal of this is does that great justice of of not having this split personality. Like we said, it's, she's one character, um, that has, you know, is functioning as 
this picture perfect mom man mm-hmm. is a serial killer and it is really hard to well i'm going to go to a clip here we'll go to a, a, a clip with kathleen turner um and then we'll come back and talk about kathleen turner but th- this is definitively one of those movies that i i it, it'd be really hard for me to picture anyone else playing this role uh she just after does seeing it, her yeah, in it it's impossible it would be really hard for me to picture like another actor pulling this off and she wasn't the first one thought of yeah We'll so, talk more. Yeah, we'll talk more. We'll, we'll go to a clip uh, and then we'll come back. You can't wear white shoes after Labor Day. That's not true anymore. Yes, it is. Didn't your mother ever tell you? <laughs> now you know. No, please. Fashion has changed. No, it hasn't. <laughs> So again, I th- I just think Kathleen Turner is like pitch perfect in this movie. She, uh, like I said, <laughs> yeah. I just it's it would be hard for me to picture after her portraying this role, hard to picture another actress, yeah, or actor doing the film. Um, but you had mentioned earlier yeah. that this was not she was not the first choice. Or? She she wasn't she was considered, um, but um, Meryl Streep, uh, Kathy Bates, and even Glenn Close that we talked about from Fatal Attraction. Um, we're all considered for this movie. And I mean, you can kind of see the trajectory. I can see, yeah. Yeah. Now that you mentioned those two names, like, but... Like, where we're going with it. It's like, we wanted... uh, And and John Waters even talked about, like, when, um, you know, he signed on to do this movie, it was... The studio was like, we want a... We want... We need a star for this and so Kathleen Turner was settled on and initially um she read the script and she said that she she read it she got to I forget which which scene first she put it down at but I she she put she put the script down like I know at one part where um somebody where her character kills somebody with a dropping an uh, air conditioner unit yeah. unit on them and she was like no no I can't do this puts it down and, and then couldn't help herself and, and goes back to it, reads reads more of it, finds another death scene, and she's like, no, I can't. This is ridiculous. I can't do this. Um, I think she talked to her husband a little bit about it and w- w- thought more about it and then talked to John Waters, and she was like, okay, so are you approaching this movie? Is this a horror movie? What I- exactly is your you know, idea for this. And so he says, okay, I'm going to come over and I'm going to talk to you. He drives the, however many hours, it was like a couple hours to like go see her, talk to her. And they talked about it. And at the end of it, he's saying, this is a satire. This is not a horror movie. Uh, Yes, there are, um, you know, murders in it, but it's more of a satire on true crime. It is a comedy, but you have to see the, darkness within it too and so I think this whole movie 
relied upon John Waters sticking to his idea for this and Kathleen Turner really sticking behind it because when um, this movie was shown to you know people the studio execs that were uh, going to approve it that they were saying dude this movie is not going to fly in middle America people are not going to know how to take this is this a comedy is this a horror movie I really I don't know how this movie is going to fly and um, so Kathleen Turner really tried to stick behind this and she put her faith into John Waters and knowing that John Waters had a, a huge fan base and she had people in her life that were saying, you're an A-list actress, you know, what are you doing with this, you know, B-movie director and people being concerned, including the studio, about this choice and movie that you're doing and she really... She stuck behind him. She believed in what he said. And ultimately, the final product of this movie is exactly the the vision that John Waters had and what Kathleen Turner signed on for. And, and yeah, unfortunately, this is like you were saying with the studio saying, you know, we don't know how to pitch a movie like this to the general yeah. public. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, as history goes, they were right in respects of the movie itself didn't quite catch on. Which um, sucks. Yeah, so much. yeah, really. Uh, but Kathleen Turner did get some of the best reviews of her yeah. career. Um, actually, kind of like a criti- critically acclaimed movie. Yeah. Um, just didn't catch on, but eventually, it always, you know, has built a following. Like all, like I think yeah. a lot of like really great. I don't want to say the word misunderstood, but just movies that just, yeah, they were, they're just, they weren't easily marketable to mm-hmm. a broad audience. And so when you have that, you just don't know how to sell it. And so it, it's hard to get it out. It always boggles my mind how something, when you have a good product, can can be so like bungled when it comes to marketing. And it really comes down to that marketing department or the studio just completely not understanding the movie. When you have an A-list actress like delivering an awesome performance yeah, and everyone behind it delivering great performances too. And one of, and this wasn't one of, I mean, this wasn't like John Waters first dive into mainstream. He had been, I mean, we've got polyester and hairspray and, and Crybaby that came before these. Yeah. It wasn't his first mainstream movie. Just that the marketing that the studio gave this was just did not hit the mark. Yeah, I was it. I was actually just talking to, and this is on the topic, but like a little, a little bit of a stray. Yeah. Um, Justin, I was having a conversation with Justin Hayward last week. Yeah. Um, who we've we've had on the show. Yeah. He, he, we he was we were talking about Dark Man because he hadn't he hadn't <laughs> yeah. se- he had never seen it. And we're, okay. but you know, we're both Sam Raimi fans and that was one of Sam Raimi's films that he hadn't seen. And he was asking me about, did, did that movie do well? And I was like, yeah, actually it was like kind of like a modest hit because, uh, and Sam Raimi has in interviews said that the marketing department didn't know how to market the film because it was sort of this strange action, weird genre blending thing. Yeah. And it yeah. wasn't based off of like a known comic book character or anything. So someone in the marketing department just said, how about we run an ad that just says, who is Darkman? 
yeah. just make it this mystery to a public and somehow that worked because they didn't know how to market it so they just yeah. marketed it as like well we're asking you you know like <laughs> and it was enough to get people intrigued we're like well who is this guy you know and yeah. so it is strange how marketing can really because t- that was a movie i think that probably would have failed but they had this marketing hype mm-hmm. and other movies like you know blair witch project or like these movies where the the marketing sensation yeah and, and, Blair Witch and, Project and unfortunately some movies that fall into that category where they're not quite you don't know how the to quite yeah. get the information out to the public of like what this is mm-hmm. ultimately like they hear about it and like oh, I don't know mm-hmm. and and this was during a time too where um like okay we are saturated with with every i mean every type of like social media print tv everything that you can think of as as far as marketing goes we are inundated with it in 1994 when this movie came out it was still relegated to print ads to to television to to movie trailers Yeah. yeah and and if you didn't sell a movie like this you know, in the right way, yeah, it's it, it it might not do the best. I mean, John Waters, for all intents and purposes, like is still a a B movie director, even though he has a giant cult following. And Kathleen Turner, even though she's an A list actress, you can still have an A list actress in in a movie that's not gonna like blow up. Yeah, especially when she is in a, like a matronly mom role. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know, maybe I'm going out on a limb here, but too, when you have a female lead in something that's supposed to be a serial killer comedy, uh, maybe this is just the, you know, I don't know, feminist inside of me thinking about how that's how a woman is going to be perceived to the mass population. But like, maybe that's not going to be the strongest thing you're going to think about necessarily. You're not going to think like, what's this woman serial killer please i think that it's so unfortunate how mismarketed this movie was because yeah. i i think now like how we've already said this movie was before its time yeah and it really is so much it, it was great when it came out and i saw it when it came out and and i loved kathleen turner at the time so it blew my mind yeah. um but like now it is it's better than it ever has been for yeah. me. And man, this is what I'm talking about, man, with the, the <laughs> movies like this where yeah. it's like, if this is a film, like if you're listening and this is a film that you remember the trailer being like, uh, what is this? You know? Yeah. And it's something that you haven't seen. I hope that this is again, this is one of those we want you to go look at. Yeah. Really? This is a film that I think like, yeah, it has aged well and like really, it, it I think if a film is great, it finds its audience, sure. you know, somehow. But I mean, now, yes, we are inundated with so much information. There's so mm-hmm. many movies that have come out since 1994. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, outside of like, you know, and, and kind of moving this into a John Waters conversation, yeah. um, we both kind of agree like this is, if if John Waters is a name that you know of and you 
have been on the fence about, you know, as far as the director goes. And you're just like, I don't know. Like, can you be on the uh, fence about John Waters? I, you're I th- either on one side or the other. But that's really? what I'm saying, though. I think, <laughs> well, I think on the fence in the yeah. sense of like, you know, you hear John Waters and you're just like, oh, I just heard he makes these just like raunchy, yeah. like shocking yeah, films. Yeah, 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 that's true. This is a good introduction to how, you know, because I mean, I love John Waters and I think John Waters is like, I think John Waters totally. could have like a hit talk show. Like I would, Oh my God. John, for me, please. John Waters is yes. like the best director to hear talk about movies. I could listen to him just talk about movies so all real. day long. In yeah. Interviews. Um, but I think that if you're, if his notoriety sometimes I think like made derail like some viewers. So it's just like, this yeah. is a film that I think like eases that, completely Person. that's what i mean by on this the was fence. this was the first john waters movie um and i mean granted i have maybe only shown like two or three john waters movies to my mom but this is what introduced my mom to john waters and she absolutely loves this movie like granted also she loves kathleen turner but she got the humor of this it wasn't it wasn't so much just based on the lead in this movie it was like she she got the humor and she saw um like how brilliant it was and we went on to pecker and yeah um, but i think it yeah Yeah. i guess like what i mean on fence like it functions yeah is a is a entry level version but at the same time a a brilliant movie so it's just like you're getting this great film but then if you're if you like this film, then like investigating, dive a little on, deeper, dive a little deeper, check out polyester, female trouble, check out pink flamingos yeah. and <laughs> pink flamingos is, it's kind of strange. It's like probably one of my least favorite John Waters yeah. films, it, you know, and it's one where, you know, I, I've seen it in midnight showing and it's just never one that's like resonated with me. Mm-hmm. Um, polyester is like my favorite John Waters movie, which was his first, I, w- I would say is his like first like mainstream movie yeah like mainstream dive and that was like 81 but still it wouldn't be until 88 was hairspray hairspray Hairspray. he's definitely had mainstream movies that have persisted throughout his career that he's he's gotten much larger we know him like a dirty shame and, and and like i said pecker like these movies like he's gotten more and more mainstream with that though we have seen or not necessarily his, but like the the studio needing a main star, which was kind of like what yeah. happened with Serial Mom, um, which isn't a bad thing at all. No, not at all. And I, and I think that the and I think that this is in sort of like a sad way is like I feel like the '90s were like the last era where you could have a Hollywood, yeah, studio producing sort of this offbeat film yeah where they were like just like it's they're willing to invest in a smart director and a smart script mm-hmm. in a concept that probably isn't going to fly with the majority of the public but they're like you know we're going to take a chance on it now yeah yeah and nowadays it's just they're just i don't think this movie could exist i don't think that it would get made because man you don't think serial won't make it made now well i actually actually i, I this film would get made but maybe not like a, a traditional John Waters film, I guess. Like, yeah, mainstream. I think you're right. Yeah, you're right about that. This but, movie... but 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 I think like I feel like almost like Serial Mom, as provocative as people feel John Waters is, this film is tamed compared to so tame. any kind of so tame 
Law and Order <laughs> series or oh, whatever. Oh yeah, you know, you know what I mean. Like, <laughs> I thought you were gonna say like tame no, compared no, no. to a, a, a John Waters movie that that no, no. I just mean, I just mean like if this came out now, like yes, uh, it would put out, but it would be on TV, but it would just it would just be oh, too yeah. tame for like what we're used to with yeah. true crime type movies. Yeah, because I mean that uh, that's totally I would say because of the comedy element. Because I don't want to downplay the like the violence that doesn't i mean it's not like it's an overly violent movie it's like there's one violent thing that happens in these murder scenes but yes you were completely right but it is the comedy that offsets these and what makes this still not offensive yeah and makes it palatable to the masses and i think it was a valiant effort too on the part of john waters to appeal to a mass audience while not necessarily like leaving behind where where he had come before at all because there's definitely definitely a lot of you know weirdness or raunchiness that is within the movie that that are those moments that you're like oh oh goodness okay well i feel squeamishly uncomfortable right now well, and that the, the exact scene that, I, that that comes to mind in this film is What's the uh, is the uh the woman setting down her lamb sandwich and her dog comes over and starts licking her <laughs> and she's like super hyped up about her tv show you know she like sits down it's like you can see the excitement on her face. she's like my show is about to come on she sits her sandwich down and she's she and she like super hyped she, like, up about what was sticks, it not little orphan annie it, yeah. what is it like uh oh uh, she rented uh yeah she rented annie annie yeah, yeah she, she, from the video store and she's like super excited about watching <laughs> annie and she like puts her feet up like in excitement her dog runs over and starts licking her feet she's like get him nice and wet like and she's just gross dude it's just like and that to me is like totally john waters but totally Perfect like the john moment waters. where i'm just like whoa where you're more disturbed yeah. at the woman saying lick my feet dog right. than the fact that you're about to get bashed over the head yes, by a yes. leg of and that's to me is like where john waters works in his like <laughs> you know moments of like it's like where he slides one in yeah, you're yeah. just like oh yeah. that's it's so weird yeah but it, um, it, he has man john waters has the innate ability to to get at you from this um for, from this standpoint of comedy that is something you didn't even know was going to be funny but it's almost like too awkward that you can't laugh yeah it's yeah, but but to me, it's like it's one of those moments where it's just like it's it's clearly like it's like a poke, you know? Yeah. It's kind of like this is. He's it, like, it, it, this it, is but, where but, I come from. When, Get them nice and wet. When, That's what she says. When, Get them nice and wet. And, That's and, the, gross. and the thing is, it's just like because and I because I feel like John Waters like has a way to he has certain scenes in his movies where it's like he makes you the provocateur. Yeah. And this is this woman's routine and it's like totally weird and, and, and you're gross, in it, but you're like, you, the, you're like forced to like, yeah. be like the spy on this like woman's, like yeah. her root, weird routine that she does. Which in, in a lot of ways, like happens throughout all of serial mom when we yeah. see her like committing these murders and even like, um, you know, in a scene where she where she sets up um, the, the strangely, the only person that she um, that serial mom doesn't kill, um, who's played by Mink Stoll. Um, yeah, let's th- talk a minute about me. We, we got to go to our pick of the week. OK, like, quickly, okay, okay, but okay. 
We don't. I, I yeah. Yeah, you mentioned Mink. I Stoll love and me I some Mink. Stoll. I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to <laughs> not talk about Mink. Stoll. Um. Well, it's interesting in Serial Mom that um the only person, the only one of her victims that um Kathleen Turner's character does not kill is Dottie Hinkle, um who's this neighbor that pissed her off by stealing a parking spot one day and like ever since then she's like had it out for her but she didn't decide to kill her she just decided to like give her the worst prank calls of her life and like harass her and like send <laughs> send her send her mail that's like obscene yeah okay Which are among, well, i think are the best parts of the film yeah. <laughs> I, I love <laughs> mink stole in this i love mink stole but i love mink stole in this movie yeah I think. mink stole and in I, this movie is fabulous in uh credit to john waters for you know, doing a Hollywood film and not abandoning Mink Stoll yeah. and like letting her yeah. shine because she's a great actress and letting her shine in this film and like giving her, uh, you know, some quality screen time and a quality role. Yeah, I think if 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 you've been a fan of John Waters, to not have Mink Stoll, who's been with him forever, um, in this movie would have would have been a, a great absence. But it is it is interesting that um she is the only character that um Beverly Sutphin does not kill. I'll I'll talk a little bit more about Minkstol in my my pick of the week, but um I have to say that um her role in this um leads to some of the more quotable um experiences yeah. in this movie whether it be Kathleen Turner and Minkstol back and forth or um well i think her character drives the plot a lot like yeah it shows the it it allows the kathleen turner character to show her sinister side so like you're you're completely right it drives it you know kind of anytime it involves being stole it's like we're getting a little bit more of the sinister side like we we are throughout this whole time that she's harassing mink stole um she is like killing killing other people yeah um but we are seeing um these instances and how um she keeps coming back up and like even i i mean mink stole shows up in the trial too and you even see kathleen turner like harass her during the yeah. trial that no one else sees and i think mink stole's character is there to show how manipulative yeah. and smart kathleen turner's character is because she has mink stole's like button Oh she, yeah, like, she's got exactly, her. She knows she, exactly how to like get her, get her, and she, and that's maybe why she doesn't kill her. She hangs on <laughs> to that card, and then and ultimately uses it in the trial to like, you know. So so there is like a reasoning for her I, to stay alive. Though I can't. Every single scene, I think of them together. I can't help but laugh. It's like I don't know which one's funnier, or if it's just them together. But it's yeah. it's really brilliant. I think Mink, Mink still is fantastic in this, but uh, and the split screen is something I'm a huge fan of. The split screen uh, sequence, and it was something that was like heavily used in like the 70s. But John Waters clearly a fan carried it on oh, yeah. throughout m- most of his films, and I think this has one of the best split screen sequences. The the prank phone call between Mink Stoll and Kathleen Turner. I challenge, such a great sequence. Challenge you as the listener to not rewind and watch that scene over and over again. Um, just finally, again, the, if if this is a film, if you're if you John Waters is a name that you know but you haven't seen his films, you know, I'd say this is a good starting starting Cere- point. Yeah, Serial Mom is a is a 
perfect beginner step, I think, into John Waters, even though it's very far into his career. I think that um, it is a very good starting off point to get you um, kind of revved up to like what you would be prepared for yeah. in any any John Waters movie. And the further you you know you go back in his career, it's gonna be a little bit more raunchy. And the further that you, I mean, le- the later you get into his yeah. career, I think it revisits that a little bit, but it's it's more of a um, streamlined yeah. and mainstream. And it, it definitely has that element, but it's um, a little less art house, I should say. Yeah, and to me, you know, this is, this is it's not my favorite John Waters movie, but in my personal opinion, I think it's his best film. Yeah, I love, I love Serial Mom and... Um, Pecker that came right after it is 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 a solid follow up to it too. Yeah. Well, let's go. Uh, let's move into our picks of the week, and uh, and then we'll move into our Murray moment. Sounds good. So this week we kind of kept it uh, John Waters centric ish. Yeah. Um, you definitely did, and I uh, I almost went with polyester, and then I thought it was kind of just. It's my favorite John Waters film, and I just like started thinking about. I it love more. that. That's your favorite one. Um, actually, my original pick was January Man because I was kind of making the right. comedy serial killer connection. Yeah. And then I rewatched it and I, I was like, man, this movie really sucks. <laughs> so I nixed that one and I was going to go for polyester and uh, ultimately landed on Lust in the Dust. So, Which I'm so looking so forward to my, hearing about. that's my pick of the week. And you went with, I think I switched mine because you went with Desperate Living, am I correct? I did, yeah. And so I kind of wanted to go off Kind of I'm looking John forward Waters. to hearing about Lust in the Dust because I've never actually seen it. But now well, I have I will your tell copy. You, I will tell you all about it. I can't wait to hear about it. But uh, let's let's start off with yours. Desperate Living, John yeah. Waters. Okay, so next to Serial Mom, Pecker, and Pink Flamingos, um, this 1977 masterpiece, as we mentioned, Desperate Living, um, is by far one of my favorites. Um, but I didn't discover this movie until much later in life. And man, does it hold my attention after multiple times seeing it. Like I never get tired of it. Um, but before we get into this is we may not have like really mentioned this before because Serial Mom is much more palatable to the masses. But when you watch a John Waters movie, you have to put away your, you know, is this offensive rating scale because it just can't apply to any of his movies so put that away all right so in his earlier films the trashiest of all the trash many of john waters's films star starred the one and only the cross-dressing divine desperate living however was the um only john waters film that didn't star divine prior to his death in 1988 but instead puts lesbians center stage um, it also brought to the forefront one of my favorite actresses um, of, of all of Waters' crew that we've talked about a little bit, Mink Stoll, who plays Dottie Hinkle in Serial Mom, um, and who uh, gives uh, her starring role as Peggy Gravel in Desperate Living. The movie opens with one of my favorite, which might have be my favorite section of the entire movie, which is like weird to say is your favorite part of the, the, the first section of the movie. Um, but it is Peggy Gravel having a nervous, neurotic breakdown, completely unraveling, comically like overinflating everything that happens to her. It's really an astonishing opening. 
Um, her dialogue is over the top, the most exaggerated, anxiety-riddling opening I've ever seen in my whole life. I love it so much because it's like too much to bear. Um, it's brilliant and has plenty of rewindable moments for me. I don't know how many times I've just like rewatched the opening. All right, so this tense anxiety scene opening um, escalates further uh, when Peggy's maid, Griselda, accidentally kills Peggy's husband by sitting on him and smothering him to death. From there, the two go on the lam, and after meeting a cop with a serious underwear fetish, they end up in a town called Mortville. Um, this is where lowlifes and criminals hang out, which is also ruled by the grotesquely oversexed Queen Carlotta, played to perfection by another um, John Waters casting regular Edith Massey, who shows up in a lot of his movies. Um, Queen Carlotta is an infantile uh, dictator who lives to humiliate all of the subjects of Mortville. It's also important to mention that Desperate Living has some of the most truly biting commentary um, on the childish, ridiculous nature of fascism. It's kind of like littered all throughout the movie. All right, so moving on. Peggy and Griselda shack up with Mole and Muffy, a trash, a trashy, rat-eating, lesbian couple um, just trying to get by in town. Um, where the movie goes from there, you're just going to have to watch from your, for yourself because I, it's just too crazy. I can't even begin to explain. So when this movie came out, a lot of lesbian groups were enraged, um, claiming that it was a horrid representation. But you've got to look at the movie as a whole, like the reality of the movie in its entirety. One, it's totally absurd. It's a completely absurd world. Two, John Waters hardly ever focuses on lesbian characters, although the, they do exist in his films. But here, lesbians and women um, are the focus. So it's kind of awesome, actually. This is a movie about total scumbags. Um, no one is a great person in this movie at all. So you just kind of have to accept that reality and just move on. You can't be offended. So this film, it, like a lot of John Waters movies, we, we talk about how it's shocking or provocative. Um, I don't feel like this movie is going for pure shock value, although there's plenty of flabbergasting moments all throughout it. But um, it does have a straightforward plot. Um, and it's executed in uh, a way that's easy to follow, but kind of hard to predict. I would say that Desperate Living is true trash art. It's one of my favorite. I mean, it is my favorite of all of his. If it's your first time watching, you have no idea what to expect, nor can you really anticipate the outcome of the movie. Um, even though I've seen it over and over, I'm still left in disbelief at where, you know, John Waters chooses to go with the subject matter. I absolutely love it. That could be said really for any of his films. Uh, they, they all end up like they're so tangential and just like kind of going on and on, but you follow the plot. Like when you watch it again, when this movie initially premiered in 1977, some critics completely walked out after the first 10 minutes while others were more of the mindset of like, holy crap, you really have to see this to believe it. So you as the viewer, I challenge you to do the same. Can you hang with this absurdist, like overly sexualized, extreme world of Mortville? If you can, I guarantee you'll want to take a shower afterwards. 
Do you remember this very much, Justin? No, I, I, I'm glad that you picked Desperate Living because I, <laughs> this is what I have to say about Desperate Living. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and Mink Stole is it? It's it pains me that she has sort of like not been as recognized for her performances as she has been. Yeah. Because um, I I can kind of compare her performance in Desperate Living to one of my favorite performances in the film is Gina Rowland's Woman Under the Influence. Oh, yeah. And I feel like there are, I feel like Mink Stoll's performances, a lot of times, like John Waters movies, like I feel like people, they seem over the top, but like mm-hmm. I feel like Mink Stoll is like the Gina Rollins of like the John yeah. Waters world, and I can see I think that. She could in 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 going back to Serial Mom, I think like she would have excelled in other films that yeah, you know her she's a great actress, but just never really could get out of you know yeah. outside of you know get someone knows? someone to take a chance on her outside of a John Waters film, and like who knows? I don't know what Mink Stoll's like idea was as far as like. Her, her acting career as far as desperate living goes like she starts off uh, like 250 percent and then like kind of goes down like in in the plot in the plot and plot and it's just kind of going along and then at the end of the movie like it ramps up again yeah and and it's obvious that it's um it it is the plot of the movie it's not necessarily like mink stole but like she is She's brilliant in her performance and anything that she does as far as John Waters goes. And yeah, it's not limited to his movies. Like she's a great actress. And I think, I think Desperate Living, again, like many early John Waters films, Mm -hmm. there's a lot coming at you. Yeah. So it's it's like a second, a second, a second viewing is usually, you know, and, and that's the thing. It's like, I think like any movie that, is provocative there is that sense of like you have to get past that and sometimes it can be yeah. it's like i i like movies that are provocative but at the same time on upon first viewing you kind of got to get you, you get that out of the way and then on the yeah. second viewing is where i really enjoy them because i i can see a movie that takes me to a place that's like unordinary yeah but now i can like focus more on yeah. the intricacies of the characters and like the in how intricate this world that i'm unfamiliar yeah. with in i i think every much like john waters to me can create a world that you know if you take a movie like for example fury road you know i know this is like on both ends That's of the spectrum, right. yeah. but you take this movie, this dystopian post-apocalyptic world, yeah. and there's all these little intricacies of this universe, like this is where this is taking place. John Waters, to me, does that on a small scale. Totally. He takes you totally. into this like completely different world, and it's like you can take it for face value or you cannot, but he creates all these little things, and it's this universe, it's mm-hmm. this world that exists, and if you can just accept you know, that reality, accept that reality you you can find that there's just so much pleasure in his movies yeah yeah totally i don't know if that is like just like a wacky no i think i i think desperate living is a perfect example of that because it is it is a movie that exists in this tiny little shanty town and you really have to accept the reality of this like crappy little town and it's something that's completely absurd. All of it is it, it, it makes no sense, and but in in the reality of that world makes total sense. Um, and if you yes. can ac- accept that, 
And sometimes it's hard upon, you know, first viewing, whether, whether it be Fury Road or whether it be a John Waters movie. Like, if you can accept that, you can see, like, kind of this blossoming brilliance yeah. that exists and you're, like, completely engulfed and, by it, really. And that's what I love about, and that's and that's ultimately the thing that gets me excited about watching movies. Yeah. I mean, I love movies that, deal with the mundane and deal with everyday life. Sure. But sure. What gets me really excited are movies that take me to a place that I yeah. wouldn't be able to experience in my regular life. Yeah. Right. And <laughs> no one's going to take you there faster than John Waters. <laughs> <laughs> You're completely right. Completely. 100%. So tell me about your pick of the week. Tell me about Lust in the Dust. Okay, I've never dust, seen it. The, uh, Lust in the Dust is... Uh, not a John Waters film, but but uh, almost to a a level of uh, so John Waters was the reason why I picked it is number one it I think it is the in the same way that uh, we kind of mentioned Serial Mom being like if you've never seen a John Waters film it's a perfect introduction I feel like Lust in the Dust is the same way if if you've if you've heard of Divine but you've never seen one of his movies lust in the dust is the perfect introduction to seeing a divine performance and lust in the dust was a uh, tab hunter and divine both starred in polyester which is my favorite john waters movie and tab hunter uh, was a huge childhood star if you don't know much about him like kind of has kind of like an odd career but he was one of like the uh last uh studio uh heartthrobs would you say not just heartthrob but one of the last like contracted studio players like how sure. they would do that in the 50s sure, like yeah. the studio would be like you're ours for like 10 years or whatever yeah so he was like from that era um but then as he got older like did polyester and like you said that was one of john waters first mainstream movies not to get too far off i'll get back to lust in the dust but tab hunter this was like a passion project for him this was like the first movie that he produced he spent like three years trying to get financing and he wanted to work with divine again and you know had this he didn't write the film but like had an idea of a film it wasn't written by him but he was pushing for this to be a movie where he could co-star with divine again and this movie is a it's a spoof on sort of the 60s spaghetti westerns uh most of which uh clint eastwood starred in and tab hunter's character name in a film is abel wood and his character is pretty much like he plays it pretty much straight like he's doing a pitch perfect homage to Clint Eastwood in the western films that he did in the 60s and that goes for all the other characters other other side characters in the film which is what I think the humor in this movie comes from Divine plays the main character Rosie Velez who is a wannabe singer who's trying to get to the town of Ch uh, Chile Verde <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and ultimately is saved by Tab Hunter's uh, non-speaking, kind of quiet stranger um, doing his best version of Clint Eastwood. And once they get to Chile Verde, they meet. Uh, they end up so so. It's it's kind of your your basic Western plot of like everybody's you know has gold fever and and. I don't want to spoil anything. There's a little mystery with like connecting tattoos and and sibling rivalries that come up, but I'll, I'll let you watch the movie. I don't want to spoil anything for I don't think if you haven't seen it. But uh, 
uh, once they get to the town, the action really picks up. Again, a lot of this movie is played like straight Western. I grew up on Westerns. I love old Western films. And to me, that's what makes this movie funny to me because I think, again, it fits into that semi-satire um, where they know when to play things straight and they know when to go for humor. And it's not really musical, but there are like several musical numbers in this. Uh, Divine giving one of the best musical performances uh, in the film. It's 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 a great sequence. It's a very funny sequence. Um, you'll know it when you see it. Um, and I and I do think that this was Divine is great with physical humor. And this is a film that I think really like played to his strength of like going for physical humor and his sensibilities and performance. And so that's why I think this is the go-to, like if you want to, if you've heard the name divine, like this is the go-to film to check out and tab Hunter is really great. This movie was directed by uh, Paul Bartel. Uh, they tapped John Waters to direct it, but because John Waters said he didn't want to do it. He said he didn't direct movies that he didn't write uh, understandably. So um, Paul Bartel had already kind of had, several hits indie hits like he was a exploitation director he did uh, death race 2000 private parts and then kind of had a big cult hit with eating roll which is a if you haven't seen is a, i think is a fantastic movie totally bizarre um i haven't eventually seen that. one of these days i have to do that for a pick of the week <laughs> um and i think that he was a perfect director for this movie in I, I would hate to think that this is a movie that looks like a john waters ripoff because there's a I think it stands on its own ground. One notable thing that I will say is that this was not a this is by no means this is a, again it's another one of those movies that could only been made in the 80s. It had like a decent budget, but it's this utterly bizarre film uh genre hybrid that probably would never be made now, but shot by uh Paul Lohman who uh, did se- he was a cinematographer for several westerns, um, but he was also Robert Altman's a cinematographer for a while and did uh, one of my all-time favorite movies, California Split. So the movie looks fantastic, and it has, it, it, though the budget was low, it, they really were going for an authentic sort of like B-movie western look that you would have seen in the 60s. And again, it's it's played straight. It's like, it's a spoof, but they're not putting aside all these little intricacies that, that you would see in in a western of that era so if you if you're in the tagline one of the critic taglines or they used it for the box is a the movie that would have made john wayne lose his lunch uh, i just <laughs> i just find that like a funny tagline to put on the box that's perfect but yeah it's it's a it's a great movie it's 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 funny the movie clocks in i think at like 83 minutes it's it moves very fast and i think that Paul Bartel really again his his sensibilities as being a an offbeat director finding a way to mix blend genres between like satire western musical sounds like it would just be a total train wreck but it somehow the movie just comes off to me like totally endearing and totally humorous man I can't wait to watch this movie I can't believe I haven't seen it yet but I I really can't wait to watch it and I'm not the biggest Western fan, but the way that you've talked about it, like, 
I would be into this. And, and, the, and the thing is, is like, I think that if you had never seen a Western movie in your life, it wouldn't matter. Yeah. Um, because it really, that's my jam. It puts itself into that world. And it, it, and there, and there, and that's the thing is like, I think that, uh, again, with satire, like there are going to be things that are going to be lost. Like it, yeah. it sort of pokes fun at several things that always happen at the end of Westerns or always, uh, these sort of tropes, um, and it pokes fun at them, but it doesn't really, but a lot of the stuff they play super serious. So I think it, it, uh, to me, it, it, it's in, that's why I think it's endearing because it, it's clearly, um, not making fun of Westerns in like a mean spirited way. It's just, it, it, it's, and, 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 uh, it's, it's filled with, um, a lot of character actors that you recognize. You're going to watch the movie and say, Oh man, I've seen that guy in like 50 TV shows or, I mean, it's, it was, again, it's a movie that I think that like in the eighties, like had like some studio money. They were able to get some character actors that, that were, had been in movies for like, that were, um, sort of the veteran veteran actors i guess is the word you would use and um you know because because it was actually uh this film didn't bomb it was for its budget it made it its money back and it was actually like a moderate really moderate success yeah oh, wow that's it kind was of actually a big yeah deal. it was actually like uh like it made money it didn't uh it was it was like a successful film that's kind of so, a big deal especially for something that's like a divine movie that's yeah. non john waters so so i think that like i feel like it was it was it would have that was like the starting point of like divine would have gotten like bigger roles and like people would have accepted him as like in 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 roles that were like outside of a john waters film yeah and uh from from any uh, what i've read he he was very proud of the film and like you know wanted to do more get closer to like a mainstream what would be considered a mainstream film but yeah lust in the dust uh check it out if you haven't uh heard of it or if you haven't seen it. it's really not uh, too hard to find it was up on youtube for a while um but the uh dvd is not hard to track down i i found a copy for five dollars used at uh v stock they didn't pay me to say that so there you go v stock <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you for telling me about that or telling us about that. Um, and I'm loaning you my copy because uh, yeah. you're one of the few people I know that will actually, you know. Oh, I'm going to watch it. Give me that back. I will. Duh. No, I mean, I'm done. You know, you know, because like I'm super honored about that because yeah. I've had movies stolen. So, yeah. Well, also too, like I see you often enough, so I can like. Badge, oh yeah, I can be badge, like, I can badger you. What's like, up with that copy? Of if you're never gonna, because sometimes you know you loan a movie, <laughs> I, and if there's anybody that knows has known me for a long time that's listening, I'm not talking about you. <laughs> but there's a, you know, there's always those people that you like. They're like, oh man, oh that sounds awesome. They like loan a movie for you, and then like you're on like year three, and it's like, listen, man, if you're never gonna watch Bro. it, just give me it back. And then when that time when yeah. you're ready to watch it, then I'll loan it out to you for that two week period. Mm -hmm. I could do a podcast on that. But anyway, I once loaned uh season two of Buffy the Vampire Slayer to a friend I went to college with. Um, I graduated college about uh, 13 years ago. Still don't have that. And if you're listening to this podcast and you have my copy of dancing outlaw that you can't really get for under $50 anymore, I love it back. <laughs> Hey, and P.S. If you stole my copy of uh, The Legend of Billie Jean on VHS, you're a jerk. I think we should just make a segment in our podcast where we like do shout outs <laughs> to like movies that we never got back. 
<laughs> Pretty sure that's a thing. It's just like yeah. a memoriam of films that we loaned out <laughs> and just never made their way back to our collection. Um, that's a real thing. We could do yeah. that. Well, uh, on the flip side, here's your Murray moment. Chicks dig me because I rarely wear underwear. And when I do, it's usually something unusual. I think I need a root canal. I'm sure I need a long, slow root canal. You're going to come and shake my monkey tree again? Oh, what does that old queen know? She didn't even chill. Okay, this is so scrumptious. Is this hand shot? The flowing robes, the grace, all striking. That was fun. All right, we've been talking about John Waters this whole podcast, which has totally made my day. And you may be wondering, is it actually possible to connect Bill Murray to John Waters? Well, yeah, actually it totally is. And if you don't know it already, it's kind of been hiding in plain sight, even if you're the biggest John Waters fan. So Robert Mayer, a longtime collaborator with John Waters on more mainstream films like Hairspray and Crybaby, wrote a book a few years ago and reminded us of a tidbit that may have been overlooked upon the initial viewing of the 1981 divine classic polyester, which we've kind of already mentioned a little bit during the podcast. As anyone who's seen this movie knows, there are a couple of songs throughout the whole movie of polyester. All of them are co-written by Debbie Harry, also known as Blondie. But you might not expect our guy Billy to pop up in a song. Um, even though he was at the height of his lounge singing act career in Saturday Night Live. But his voice does indeed show up on one song entitled The Best Thing. And it's about the main character of uh, Francine Fishpaw finally finding love. At first, Mayer recalls that Waters was absolutely livid about the suggestion of having Billy involved with polyester. Mayer said that Waters was not a fan of Billy, and he often bragged um, that he didn't even watch TV at all, in essence saying that he didn't care about Billy's career in the slightest. Waters and Billy's um, styles of comedy were just not in the same vein. Um, Waters wasn't into Saturday Night Live or Caddyshack, a movie that had come out just a year prior to Polyester coming out. So, I mean, really, John Waters was subversive, underground, super gay, shocking, and even a little angry. Billy's style of comedy has never even been close to that. So, um, John Waters was totally concerned that um, if Billy got involved with this movie, that it that the movie might somehow become diluted. Justin, do you think we can go to a little clip of this song, maybe, and we can get a little better uh, um, idea of what we're dealing with here? Yeah, I- I'm gonna say I hadn't. You, this is the only Murray moment where you've like let me in on what you're gonna talk about. <laughs> um, I mean, I think- and I didn't know about this, so yeah, I'm gonna go to the. I'll go to the song that you're referencing. Okay. We met, we spoke, our love became infinity, our timeless fantasy. One boy, 
One girl Deeply and honestly Our real life fantasy The first Good thing To happen to But after this song, called The Best Thing, as we already said, uh, was recorded, Waters ended up totally conceding that Billy's version of the song was appropriate and ultimately ended up being pretty perfect for the film. Waters is, of course, very, very proud of Polyester, the movie, and possibly the absence of uh, Billy's, like, quote-unquote doofus-style comedy that Waters was previously so adverse to um, was what made him maybe okay with the song. That's what I'm thinking anyway. Um, Maybe this blend of sweet vocals, um, sentimental music atop um, and, you know, over-the-moon montage of divine and love all ended up being exactly what the scene needed and what was warranted in the situation. I think, especially in hindsight, Crossing Billy, who had mass appeal to a wide audience with a director known for his off-the-grid raunchiness, was a brilliant move for both people. But man, do I wish I could have really read the body language but between like John Waters and Billy Murray um, when this initially happened, because I I bet it would have uh, <laughs> I bet it would have really been something special. Well, I, you know, I, um, again, like I said, polyester is my favorite movie, but I didn't, I never knew about that. Even when I was, uh, thinking about doing polyester, when I started yeah. researching it, that, that didn't come up, you but know, I actually can, oh, sorry. No, I, I, th- I think it's something that a lot of people like don't even know because it's not something that's touted in polyester or I, I think even hearing the song, it doesn't scream bill murray yeah at all because if anything when you hear like you know if you know his previous like you know kind of like parody lounge singer type style or even like now into like what he does now it's it's something that's kind of like in the middle like he's actually like singing as himself um and it strangely really fits in polyester so you're not like thinking oh yeah that's bill murray of course it's interesting because I, the, when you first started mentioning John Waters with Bill Murray, my mind instantly went to a John Waters movie starring Bill Murray. But God, I, I wish. Could, but the Don't thing even. is, but the thing is, is like <laughs> of all the interviews that I've heard John Waters talk about, he yeah. John Waters is very much like he adheres to a script. Like he's yeah. not inter- improvising he w- whatsoever. He would not be down with I, Bill I, Murray I, at I, all. I could easily see him like disliking yeah. Bill Murray's method. Yeah, um, he was from what I from what I've siphoned off of this research, like John Waters and Bill Murray would not necessarily gel at yeah, all and and it's like they're both very two st- very strong personalities and very funny people on their own but like it probably wouldn't work yeah um yeah 
I, I love that it did work in this instance, but yeah, I mean, initially it was, it, it probably wasn't supposed to work. Um, but in I, mean, the end, I could leave it up to you yeah. to somehow find a way to tie Bill Murray Dude. in some sort of relevant way to John Waters. There was another way I almost had yeah. connecting to Serial Mom, but I'm going to, I'm going to hold that one close to my chest until yeah. I can, uh, uh, siphon out the facts there. I but, never doubt you. I just wait to day of and I just assume <laughs> all is. But I mean, happen. this song's so great. And I have to say that like out of all the Bill Murray songs I've ever heard, this one in polyester, even though I know that like the, you know, the humor and tone of this movie, like there's still something that like evokes a little bit of like emotion you know, from this, it's like not just funny. It's like I feel a little bit for Francine Fishpaw, honestly. Yeah. I'll probably not watch the movie the same anymore. Never. Yeah. It's about um an hour and six or seven minutes through okay. if you're if you're looking for the song itself. I just felt uh, this was the first time that you like you you texted me and you were. You're like, here's what I'm doing. I was like, wait, what, what's happening? I was like, I, I usually don't know. I really want to run a clip of this yeah. through it. So we got to do that. You didn't tell me what the Murray yeah, moment was. I but like you, I knew it had something to do with polyester because you were, you were making a request for a music clip. I'm not so. holding those cards close to my chest yeah. until I absolutely have to I, tell you. I hope that it remains that way. I'm trying. Yeah. I like to be just in suspense as the audience is. So we're really pushing the limits on our time this episode. Um, but coming up uh, next episode, uh, we're continuing on with our all uh, Halloween scary movie themed movies. Uh, next week, we'll be doing uh, the original Wes Craven's Nightmare on Elm Street. Then our Halloween special, Fright Night. Ugh, Fright Night. Um, uh, Jerry Dandridge, my love. <laughs> man of my dreams I mean of all of our dreams really uh, so if you've been listening or just catching on we always can't thank you enough we've gotten a lot of kind comments over the past uh, month or so um, yeah for sure we appreciate you listening to us and checking in and sending us your feedback Really, it means the world to us. The thing I will say, I haven't mentioned this before, but so we've been getting some yeah. ratings on iTunes, and that really does help us out a lot. If you uh, give us a good rating on iTunes, it uh, will help uh, raise awareness. It helps. Uh, yeah, bumps us up. Yeah. Maybe gets other people to listen to us. Yeah. We really do appreciate it. Yeah. And um, but we. If you, want, if you haven't been following us already, you can follow us on Instagram, Don't Push Boss Podcast facebook don't push boss podcast or visit our website don't push boss where we're on multiple platforms download us stream us we really would love you to rate us um and give us your feedback and if you want to contact us directly don't push boss podcast at gmail.com one of us will uh get back to get you get back to you and say what's going on if you, even if you just want to say hi sometimes someone just says hey hi how's it going like the podcast and we also have um some handcrafted movie boxes available too where we kind of deconstruct these vhs movie boxes and um handcraft them 
into uh, stained boxes yeah. where the old VHS movie boxes cut out and, and, the, and lacquered into the wood. Yeah, and the makes VHS, for a nice storage box. It's true. And if you'd like, the VHS um, actual tape is in the box. Um, it's not completely guaranteed all the way through, but it does play. The actual physical tape. The actual physical tape. Yeah. Um, if you would like this as something for yourself, a souvenir, present for someone in the future, um, we do have these available right now. And if it, you know if there's something that we don't have in stock, you know, let us know. And a we lot can, of uh, spooky can... movie titles for Halloween. That's true. That's real true. And uh, we do these because the money that we make from these goes into helping fund the podcast. And yeah. Help pay for streaming services and all the things we need to to keep this machine running. And uh, we love doing this. Yeah. And so we want to keep it going for yeah. you. We want to keep it going for us. We love doing this. Um, so. So yeah, if you're interested, hit us up about that. Um, but again, thanks for listening. Until next time, I'm Justin Johnson. And I'm Lindsay Reber. Thanks a lot. Thank you.